My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin, a spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, everyone. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and we are going to dive right in because I already know I'm going to want to get as much of this interview in as possible. Today, I have in the house with me a guest I've been wanting to have in the studio for some time. We're going to talk about being single as an empowering choice, booty calls, knowing your sexual self-worth, and more. Later on in the show, Dr. Megan Fleming will help us respond to a listener who wonders if she's become asexual in her 30s, and is that even possible? I will also share a little bit about my experience with a yoni egg, a.k.a. a stone egg I put in my vagina, and maybe other things we've put into our vaginas. You just never know where this is going to go. For more Girl Boner fun, remember to sign up for extras on my website, augustmclaughlin.com. I send emails about once a month with fun news, freebies, discounts, and more. I would love to have you join my personal posse. Now, I am so pleased to welcome Christina Royale to the show. Christina is an activist, writer, YouTuber, and sex-positive feminist who exposes and pokes fun at sexism that persists in our culture through awesome humor. She holds nothing back, which I love about her, and shines a light on what being a single woman can look like when you have no interest in upholding the oppressive status quo. Thank you for being here, Christina. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm such a fan of your show. You are amazing, and you bring in amazing people, and so I'm so honored to be here. That's so kind. I'm thrilled that you're here, and I feel like your message and your voice is so in line with embracing our sexuality and really living fully and busting stereotypes, which I adore. And you're you're very, very talented and, and funny. I've been watching so many of your videos. They're amazing. You did not start out in a really sex-positive community. Oh, no. I did not. I am a recovering Catholic, so I was raised in the complete opposite. So it has been a journey. In fact, if you want to hear this little story, this is so sad, but it makes people laugh. When I was uh, 18 years old, I was so horrified by porn that I absolutely could not watch it. I could not be around it, even by myself. And so I was with a long-term boyfriend at the time, and this was something that I wanted to work through, and I wanted to not bother me because I see pornography as oftentimes very empowering and the people who work in it very empowered. So I literally had to lock myself in my bedroom by myself and watch it for 30 seconds at a time on mute (laughs) until (laughs) I could watch it for a little longer and then eventually turn the sound on quietly and then turn it actually on. And now I'm such a big fan. Oh, my gosh. I watch it all the time by myself with others. All of these things. That Love is it, so but, interesting. Uh. I relate to having shifted views about, oh, porn is so bad and all of this. And also all those myths around that, you know, the performers, the actual content. And so I think it's really beautiful that you could share that. And because you've come so far as far as what you find empowering, but you also had to challenge a lot of your own beliefs. Absolutely. And it really illustrates the disempowered and uh, vulnerable place that I was in uh, more than any other story I can think of. Yeah, yeah. Are you a fan of feminist porn and having more female and non-cis creators? So I love diverse creators. I think that's absolutely what we need to see because we've been seeing one perspective for so long that I absolutely think we need to bring more diversity to everything really, but yes, porn and my God, movies and media in general. But yes, absolutely. That said, um, the kind of porn that I watch is generally not in the feminist genre, which is interesting. Although I think that it very much is 
Yeah. So what makes it feminist to you? Are you watching like hardcore mainstream porn? Do you have like a certain style you like? So I love a, a broad array of porn, but I really love things that are very dick focused because that's what I enjoy seeing. So, I mean, I watch all kinds of things from jerk-off videos to blowjob videos to handjob videos to gangbang to which in consensual, of course, always because that would just horrify me, the pretend rape scenario, although Again, I'm not trying to judge anyone who does partake of that sort of porn because it's performed by consensual performers. Right. And people have rape fantasies. Right. You know? And Absolutely. I will say, I don't I don't watch porn. I, I have watched a little bit of Erica Lust's work, which I Oh, I haven't. Love. She's amazing. So she hers she calls it typically like erotic films. Because of the fact that there's so much taboo around porn and she wants to make it more accessible to people of all gender expressions and have – and there's a lot of hardcore. There's softcore. There's all different kinds. But it's very artistic and very ethically made. And so that made a difference for me because I actually found some of the – it wasn't – I don't think it actually was feminist porn. And I know that that is kind of – you know, it's up to both the creator and the viewer, right? If it's empowering to you and you feel like everything's great, feminism is about equality and equal rights and, and, and being able to enjoy what we want to. But I found some of the – there was this porn that was supposedly created for women, and it featured such, like, prepubescent or teenage-looking girls, and mm. it was really triggering for me. It was it was really hard to watch, and that at first kind of turned me off to thinking like, okay, so if that is what the the woman-focused stuff is all about, then I don't want that. And then I learned about Erica. She has this great TED Talk she did, and it's, it's amazing. She does this really cool thing where people send in their fantasies, and she creates films around them. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's cool stuff. There's so much great medium out there, just all different kinds of ways to express our sexuality, whether you enjoy watching it, listening to it, imagining it yourself. What matters is finding what you find exciting, right? Love it. Absolutely. So did you learn much in sex ed growing up? Oh, my gosh. So let me tell you that in my Catholic school, we didn't even have sex ed. We had something called family life. Are you serious? <laughs> Absolutely. So it incorporated some of the elements of sex ed, but through a Catholic lens, which was with your husband in this heterosexual arrangement after marriage, this is how you procreate. So family life. Oh, that just yeah. made me think of Leave It to Beaver and a woman pulling a <laughs> turkey out of the oven and I think that's what was on the cover. No. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Things just haven't changed much in that realm yet, which is unfortunate. Which is why it's so important that there are these more indie kind of your YouTube videos. There's all these other options out there. So how did you go from that to becoming this very outspoken advocate and super sex positive person? So I have to give a lot of credit to the LGBTQ community for that because I started in LGBTQ activism in college and meeting particularly gay men, they tend to be very sexually liberated. And that was a thing that was not comfortable for me at first, but I wanted to be comfortable with it. And so through many conversations that I'm sure were terrible for them, <laughs> I learned so much. And then I was really fortunate to have a few uh, boyfriends early on who were very open to experimentation and who were very understanding of the place where I was coming from. And so we got to experiment a lot, which I'm sure they didn't mind, by the way. But uh, those things really got me to a point where then I started having a lot more sex partners. And then from there, I think for me, practice makes perfect. And I really got to explore what I'm into, what I am not into, what kind of people I click with and what kind of people I don't, what I look for in a sex partner that to have a, a successful experience. And so nothing got me there faster than having a lot of sex. You know, it makes sense. Like you said, got to practice. Oh, my sure. gosh. So you have really embraced being single and want other people to see, like, hey, that can be awesome. Not as a 
you know, kind of last resort, but as <laughs> an actual choice and a decision. Is that something that you long believed in? Or when did you decide that, you know, I don't need to have this like cultural idea of what a relationship and life needs to be? Well, I was raised with this idea that it, I would have a nuclear family and I played with baby dolls because that's what I would be is a wife and a mother and all kinds of other things as they relate to men. And I was raised in that and it wasn't until college and a few boyfriends later that I started to enjoy the time in between boyfriends more than the time with boyfriends. And a lot of them were really lovely people, really, really great, big hearted people. But it, you know, so it wasn't them. It was just that I enjoyed my single lifestyle, what it was that I made out of that. And I enjoyed sleeping with who I wanted when I wanted. I enjoyed not cohabitating with a lover because I prefer to keep my own schedule and not check in with anyone because I don't feel I should have to or I don't want to, I should say. It is interesting that it is sort of expected that the nuclear family is what not only life should be, but kind of what your worth ends up being wrapped up into. You Absolutely. know, the whole idea of like, why are you still single? Oh my gosh, Instead I get of, that why question are you in so a relationship? much. <laughs> <laughs> How do you answer? Oh, well, it depends on who's asking, but I have found that the more inappropriately you answer it, the quicker the conversation is over. <laughs> so, <laughs> what would be an example? So, I'm like, hey, Christina, my name is August. So, where do you live? And, why don't why don't you have a boyfriend? Like why aren't you married yet? Is is something wrong? Are you a lesbian? <laughs> I love that. And actually I get asked it just like that way too often. But usually I say, Oh, I'm single because I like having sex with as many people as possible which is not true necessarily. But something along the lines of sleeping with one person for the rest of my life sounds like my personal hell. For example, because those people asking those questions, polyamory and open relationships are not on their radar at all. Right. So it didn't mean to be reductive because absolutely one can be in a relationship and not be monogamous. However, those people asking don't know that. So Right. Have they ever become teachable moments? Like has anybody been thoughtful about their question and you're able to present something else or does it do they come to you with a judgment? Well, you know, the truth is most, if not all, of those people are in relationships themselves. So I don't want to make them feel like I look down on their choice or that it is not valid. So I don't want to, you know, say, well, honestly, because of the privilege that they experience in society, most men are shitty in a lot of ways, and I don't want to deal with it, which is one aspect of the true answer. But I don't want to make them feel badly or... Uh, to make them defensive. And also, I think that's a much larger conversation and a much larger understanding yeah. of the way our society works, that if they don't necessarily have that, I think that there's more than a chance conversation that would be required to get them there. Yeah, But I do sometimes answer in a way that's, well, I prefer to be single because I love my lifestyle. I love being able to travel out of the country for as long as I want when I want without having to consider another person. I like to sleep with who I find attractive when I feel like it without considering another person. I like to be with my friends all the time and keep my schedule exactly the way that I want it. And... I try not to imply that their life is shitty. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really but, kind. And I think also you're presenting it as a choice, right? You're not saying yes. your choice is not good. You know, maybe you are with somebody who is awesome and maybe that works out great for you and maybe you feel more freedom within that relationship, but that's not how you want to live. And I feel like that is a really powerful thing because somebody – Let's say one of those people, probably many of those people, came up to you with that question, and they are miserable in their relationship. Maybe it's a toxic relationship. And they go, oh, wait a minute. Because sometimes the fear of being alone keeps people in a really bad relationship. I think that's very true. And and I agree. I would guess that that is 
a substantial amount of the people who say that to me is that they don't know that there's an alternative. And if they've heard about it, they don't know what it would look like. And they don't think that it's appropriate for them, particularly if they've been in the same relationship for a really long time. And I understand that they want to help me and want to help me have value in society by being a wife of someone, a mother to someone, because especially with older generations, that was the way that women attained status. And I appreciate that they would be trying to help me. I don't super appreciate them trying to match me up with their, you know, with their, you know, son with terrible PTSD or their nephew who is 40 and lives at home or, you know, wh- whatever single man they happen to be trying to marry off. That's not my that favorite part. Often? Oh, my gosh. All the time. Well, not the ones that I answer. There are just too many dicks in the world to settle on one. <laughs> not not them. Yeah. <laughs> the conversation's usually over. But the ones that, you know, I'm a little kinder and, you know, I try and Uh, dismiss it in the kindest possible way. Yes, absolutely. They will try to fix me up with any man, really any age I've found. Um, It doesn't seem to matter uh, what their interest, job or age is as long as they are single and I am single. That seems like (laughs) enough for them. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Okay, so I want to talk about your booty call videos and also why you decide to make them and why you kind of want to celebrate the booty call, but also you also point out some of the funny things that happen. They're really entertaining. How did that series start? Oh, thank you. Well, I've been telling these stories um, both to people in person and also writing them on my written blog for um, a little over a year. And so I thought, well, maybe I should just tell them as they're happening so that I don't, well, not exactly as they're happening, but <laughs> but before and after. I could just see you getting busy with a big microphone next to you. Oh, explaining that would be interesting. Yeah, because before you, you start out, usually when the person's on their way over. Yes. And then it kind of cuts to, and it's funny because there'll be a little like, and then a bunch of horrible sex later or something, yeah. something that kind of. Get, alludes to what actually happened, and we don't see that person. But then you come back, and you are in your postcoital, whatever state you happen to be in. Disheveled, yeah. always. Yes. Yeah, yeah. How have people responded to those? Very well, for the most part. And of course, there are trolls who will troll anything feminist. But yeah. it it has been very good, and people are really entertained by it, which I appreciate. But also. I would like the booty call to become a little bit more commonplace in terms of things that we think of, things that we talk about, because I I encounter a lot of women who are like, oh, I just, I don't know that I could do that. What does that even look like? I'm like, oh, well, I can show you what that looks like, you know? And I, I know a lot of them are concerned about their safety, which of course is a factor, but I am not. And so concerned about my safety, um, because of, well, one, the instances of violence uh, against a woman in a non-relationship are just so low for for. Isn't for it me. like 90% of violence, domestic violence, happens between – it's in a – usually a guy to a, a woman. Like a – it's in a heterosexual – Relationship. Mm-hmm. This isn't a one night stand. Absolutely. And uh, most rapes occur from uh, people that the victim knows and has a, an intimate, close relationship with. So, statistically, I'm pretty safe. Also, I'm very tough. So, there's that. That helps. <laughs> Ab- absolutely. Very much helps. So, for anyone who is listening and they want to pursue a booty call, and has not done so, what are the steps? Ooh, for a first-time booty call, that's exciting. Um, So I would start with don't booty call your friends or friends of friends. I just don't. It's always messy, and that's a first-timer mistake, speaking from experience. So I would booty call, let's say you meet a man on Tinder, which is, in my opinion, the easiest way nowadays. So if you meet someone on Tinder for your first booty call, I would meet them in a public place. So I would pick somewhere convenient for you because you can and they'll be fine. 
So a coffee shop, a lounge, a restaurant, anything like that where you can get a feel for, okay, there are no obvious signs that this guy will murder me. So, or, you know, to see if you feel comfortable, because at the end of the day, if you're not comfortable, you're probably not going to get off. And then why in the hell are you doing a booty call? And you can change your mind anytime. Absolutely. Consent goes on and on. So if even if the booty call starts and you want to stop it, it's okay. Absolutely. And I have done it. And it is uncomfortable for them, but that's fine. They'll live. How much do you communicate with the person leading up to the actual sex do you, about what's going to happen? Like, do you say, let's meet and then we'll decide if we're going to have sex? Or is it like, we're going to have sex, but let's meet for coffee first? Well, for me, at this stage in my life, I do not meet them in a public place, which I wouldn't recommend until you have your routine down. Also, I live in a gated community. So they need to present their ID to the gate to get into it and get a parking pass for their driver's license. So that adds uh, security for me. Also, I'm not willing to invest that much time in any one of them anymore. So I just need them to show up and I open the door. I offer them a drink because I'm a nice person. But really, I just take them back to my bedroom and then tell them that they can get naked while I'm tying my hair back and then have sex with them straight away, which is what works for me. Ah, but back to the first time booty call. That's probably, you you may get there if it's appropriate for you, but the first time that might be rough. So meet them in public. If you feel comfortable proceeding, oh, and uh, to answer your question, I would tell them, let's meet with co- meet for coffee or, you know, let's meet for a drink and, you know, see how it goes. See if we vibe. And then if so, come back to my place. I like that. It sets it up and makes it easier for you because you already have that outlet because they're expecting you to make a decision. And they're mm-hmm. making a decision, too. I mean, absolutely. And, and you could tell them, too, I suppose, you know, we could both decide. Like, let's just let's just see. That's that's good. And so then. So first timer, you meet. Things are going pretty well. You want to go back to one of your places. You get there. Tips for a successful romp. Tips for a successful booty call. Um, well, I prefer to have a booty call in my home because I know that I have everything that I need. I have condoms in all the sizes. I have lube. I have a clean bed, which, speaking from experience, these men do not a lot of the time. Ew. And, mm-hmm. Or, you know, actually, for that matter, I have a bed, which they don't always have. <laughs> Here, join me on my deflated air mattress. Oh, I've done that. Not comfortable, I bet. It was not the best, no. But in my defense, he was an NCAA player, which means they work out like a million hours a day and had a great dick and I would do it again. The half-inflated air mattress wasn't my favorite part of it, but it was acceptable. It all worked out. Right. Probably not for a first time. (laughs) Let's, you know, put that out there. Yeah, yeah. Right. So for your first time, (laughs) um, I would have everything set up to where you know where it is and you have it. You can get yourself water and so you don't have to take any beverages from him. And so that helps. And I honestly feel a little bit more comfortable in my own space. Also, I, you know, feel comfortable kicking someone out of my space if I need to. Good, good, good. Do you talk to them about condoms before? Because I know, you know, hopefully everyone's expecting to have safe sex practices. Is it something that should be clarified? You know, should you say, do you, will you be bringing condoms? I have condoms. What kind of, you know, you protection we're going to use? I think it's a great subject to broach, especially if you're newer to it. For me... I never do. I just, when they get naked, I'm like, great, here's the condom that's appropriate for your penis. Put it on. So. <laughs> I just picture you like somebody walks in and you have this whole booty call set up. Like the cupboard opens and this thing flips out with all different sizes of condoms and you've got this whole setup, and which is actually a great idea for a hotel theme, the booty call. Love it. Wouldn't that be fun? Love it. Booty yeah. call hotel. Yeah. Absolutely. So I, I do have a bit of a routine at this point. If they do take me up on the drink, I usually have liquor poured into this chicken teapot that I have. It's a small chicken. And so 
if they say yes to a drink, I will pour their drink out of the chicken. <laughs> and if they say, if they say, oh, you know, that's okay, I'll just take shots. I now have a penis shot glass for them. So, <laughs> so I think that's my passive aggressive way of making them feel uncomfortable because it makes me laugh. But you, again, not on the first time. You probably don't need to <laughs> right, 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 <laughs> to laugh at them that oh much. Oh my gosh! So. Once they're there, you have figured out protection, uh, and you're going at it. Obviously, each one's going to be completely different. Absolutely. Any suggestions for making sure that it's pleasurable? You know, do you communicate much? I'm sure some just sort of you just go at it. Yes, and that's my favorite scenario where this is not their first rodeo either, and they understand and they can listen to the female body and understand it easily. Although, to be honest, I don't really let them do things that I don't like anymore. And it's sort of um, like you always have the option to be on top. And I only sleep with men with very big penises. So I'm so accustomed to what angles they get to do, never letting them have full control unless I know that they won't stick it in too far etc. So really, they're not in control of much. So it goes down exactly the way that I want it to. So knowing what you want, and also being able to communicate that, whether it's through body language, or, you know, articulating it, because every body is different, and you might have different desires and all of that. When it's finished, do people just get up and leave? Have you had people want to sleep over? Oh, you know, occasionally. So I do have one more note about during. I I didn't mean to say that I don't use feedback because sometimes I do. It's probably not the nicest anymore at this point. I will just say something along the lines of like, no. (laughs) (laughs) You're very efficient. (laughs) Straight to the point. (laughs) Or don't do that again. You know, things like that. And they take it really well. Generally speaking, they, you know, are pretty experienced if they're they've made it up to this point with me. So they can deal with it. I mean, if you know for a fact that the guy does not have a lot of sexual experience, you might make him cry. So I wouldn't, you know, I mean, maybe if if you like that kind of thing. But I wouldn't. Uh, But yes, I do give feedback when necessary. And I do talk to them when necessary. And I do try to be more encouraging if I need to, although more often than not, I'm like, no, let me do it. Or not like that. Which I think, as you said, a lot of people appreciate it simply because if everyone's just guessing, it's frustrating, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So do they try to sleep over? Occasionally. And uh, so after it's over... I always straight away get up to pee so that I don't get a UTI. Good. Tip for a first time. Yeah, always yeah. do that. And then I just start to put my clothes on. And 90% of the time, they get it and they start to put their clothes on. And then when they're almost done, I'm like, great, I'll walk you out. And then I just walk them out and I close and lock the door after them. So that goes very smoothly. However... When they're like, oh, well, you know, I it's late. Can I can I stay? And I'm like, no, I don't sleep well sleeping next to someone, which is true of people that I'm sleeping with. I don't sleep well, particularly because they're strangers. So yeah, that so can be awkward. That is true. And it's also nicer than what I want to say, which is please get the fuck out. Yeah, so. Yeah. <laughs> It was like, yeah, we're done, and I don't want to have morning sex with you because that's not my favorite time for sex. So, no. Yeah, I love how well you know yourself and your desires and all of this, it sounds like, uh, which probably makes for much better experiences. I want to hop to a listener question, and then I have a few more questions. I feel like I have could talk to you all day just about booty calls, uh, which would be really, really fun. I would love to. It would be great. But we have a question from a listener that I think is a really insightful question. 
I've heard that women peak sexually in their 30s, but I had a super high sex drive in my 20s, and now it's basically at a standstill. I've even wondered if I've become asexual. Is that even possible? It happened gradually, and at first I thought it was because I had a real job finally, and I'm actually less stressed than I was in college and grad school. Then I thought it was because of a long-term relationship I was in. The sex had become dull. I'm single again, though, and I'm not even masturbating. I'd like to date again, but stress over this is making me really hesitant. Thank you so much for your question. Here is what Dr. Megan Fleming had to say. I love this question because it certainly gives me the opportunity to highlight for you and for, dare I say, almost all women that our sex drive is not something static. It can change dramatically uh, over the course of one's lifespan and it has a lot to do with our age, our hormones, our relationship status. And so, you know, the one thing I'm observing in, in listening to your question is that it's to recognize that stress is real. Uh, the number one killer of libido is stress. And, uh, you know, often as we're in our 30s or 40s, we are having higher levels of responsibility both in work and or if we're starting families and or potentially caring for aging parents. And so uh, I think it is always important to take stock of what is our stress. And importantly, around sex and sexuality, are you carving out time to essentially turn your sexy on, or as I like to say, keeping your sexy pilot light on? Because, you know, the thing I know about low libido is when it's sort of off the radar. It's kind of like being a cold engine. It's like it's not even in one's consciousness. And it always reminds me of that law of physics. You know, something in motion stays in motion and something at a stop literally takes more energy to get it going. And so I think the value for women is always to be sparking your mind because desire and sexuality is the biggest sex organ is our brain. And so, you know, is it sexy thoughts? Have you explored erotic reading? sort of exploring your fantasy because what I could tell you is that you know when it comes to desire and arousal there's the you know all the ways in which you can turn yourself on and you can turn yourself off by what we're thinking about right and all the ways our partner can turn ourselves on and off and um Emily Nagasaki, she's got this great book that I would recommend, uh, and I think you'd take a lot out of it. It's called Come As You Are. In fact, it's a New York Times bestseller. Um, the Surprising New Science That Will uh, Transform Your Sex Life. So I actually just was at a presentation on Friday with Emily. I think she's amazing. And she refers to it as sort of all of us have accelerators and brakes, right? And accelerators are, as I would sort of say, all the things that turn us on. It could be you know, the smell of your partner, it could be his, you know, or her touch. Um, and it certainly can be, um, you know, for some people, it's the environment, getting out of their own home or apartment because it's associated with stress and piles and to-dos. So that's why for many people, it's on vacation that their desire sort of gets a, sort of that kickstart and a spark. Um, and then there's also what she refers to as like the deaccelerators or the brakes. And so those are often all our inhibitions. Uh, so in this case, stress could be one or, you know, thinking more about the sleep that you're going to miss out getting. There are all the ways that we can, um, anything that holds us back from sort of letting ourselves go and being fully open to the present moment and to feeling pleasure and exploring pleasure in the present moment. And then another piece I'd like to wrap back around to is that because you've now, in a sense, self-identified and you feel as if, in a sense, asexual or it's not on your radar, more often than not, there's this quality we call spectatoring. And that's when you're observing yourself. And so I would wonder that, you know, it sounds like even anticipation of getting together, you're almost avoiding dating because you're, it's fear-based, right? The fear is what if, what if something's shifted or is different or is wrong and I don't have these spontaneous feelings. And what I would say is, you know, what we focus on expands. So in this context, you're focusing on the fear of what you're not feeling and you're observing, almost evaluating, judging what you're not feeling, how it shifted from when you were in your 20s and it felt natural. And unfortunately, that observing, sometimes we're even testing ourselves or that quality, you're focusing on essentially what you don't want versus you want. So again, going back to what I said earlier, it's, you know, exploring fantasy, exploring what your accelerators are, your turn-ons are, and without expectation and certainly without judgment, 
um, not expecting anything to happen because it's really letting go of expectation or anything that you think quote unquote is supposed to emerge and just allowing under the right circumstances and situations, uh, what, what will naturally flow. And so I would say, take this as an opportunity to sort of play, have fun, absolutely go out there and date and listen to see, you know, who is the person that is in a sense because of who they are and how they show up and that chemistry that we don't have with anyone and everyone, that the chemistry is going to be a part of that spark. But again, it's not just waiting for someone else to spark our sexy pilot light. It's certainly all the work you can be doing on your own. And as you're doing it, of course, I would say always have a lot of fun and let us know how it goes. Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. Everyone, you can check her out at greatlifegreatsex.com. I thought she brought up some really important points. I love what she said about, you know, turning on our own sexy pilot lights and also staying open and and not judging our feelings. I also just want to point out that the whole idea that women peak sexually in their 30s is not actually legit. If you peak in your 30s, that's great. Uh, If you don't, that's also great. But the myth came from this tiny little study conducted in 1953. So you can imagine they were asking women in this very small study if they were as orgasmic and sexually interested. Like, no one was talking about that stuff, right? So who's going to admit it, first of all? Uh, But other studies have shown a lot of, of different things, such as orgasms improving over time and having more sexual confidence later. So our sexuality is so individual. And I also just want to say to this listener, it's okay to not want to have sex. It's also okay to not want to have sex and to still want to date. You know, you don't have to... It's not like this currency it shouldn't be that if you date someone then therefore you have to have sex i think you can be very sexually fluid i heard a speaker once this really renowned sex educator was saying that she went through a period where she did not crave any partner sex she only wanted to masturbate and then later in life she really wanted a lot of partner sex and that's okay so exploring and not trying to put labels on it or having shame around it, or if you do, just really tapping into that. And there's a book called Sexual Fluidity, Understanding Women's Love and Desire that you might find interesting by Lisa Diamond. She's the one who who brought sexual fluidity kind of into the widespread um, conversations around sex. And if you want to learn more about asexuality, I interviewed Lauren Jankowski a couple of times, and she's amazing. She's this asexual activist and author. She started Asexual Artists, and she debunked a whole bunch of myths around that. So for example, you can be asexual and still want a romantic relationship. So I learned a lot from her. Have you, Christina, ever had times where you felt like sex was not so important or has it kind of been a value of yours consistently? Most of the time, sex has been very important to me, but absolutely my sex drive waxes and wanes with the stress that I have going on, with the availability of partners that I have at that time, like is tinder on a dry spell and it's all ugly then yeah not a lot's gonna happen and that's okay and I find at a point that maybe I don't even need it to right then I want to focus on other things and that's okay but I have to say that nothing will kill my sex drive more than a relationship that is too long (laughs) and sleeping with the same person for too long because for me that is Boring was that the word that was in the question? Yeah, was it... I think she said boring. She she found it to become very complacent and dull. Yeah, dull. Yeah, that's right. Um, I've had similar experiences, and cu- uh, coming out of that can go one of two ways for me. Whether it's gosh, I've just been you know not excited about sex for so long that I'm just kind of in that spot, and you know there's momentum there. Or, like, get me out of here. I would like to have sex with everyone (laughs) remotely attractive that I've been eyeing this whole time but couldn't do anything about because I was in a monogamous relationship. (laughs) Interesting. Do you know Meredith Shivers' work? She's a sociologist and uh, researcher. And she has done these amazing studies that basically showed, and this is, so far, it's been primarily cis women and men, uh, straight, Uh, Actually, no, gay and straight. And watching porn and being hooked up to different machines and and studying the arousal. And they found that the cis women and the gay women were much more 
their interests were much more diverse. They got turned on by gay porn. They got turned on by straight porn. They got turned on by animal sex. Like, all these different things. Not all of them felt comfortable admitting it or were as aware of because I think we are kind of taught to be cut off from that kind of stuff. Absolutely. But uh, there is evidence that shows that women tend to be less fulfilled by monogamy, which is interesting because it's the opposite of what we've learned. Now, that said... I think you can have, I mean, depending on the person, right, you can have a really amazing, dynamic, monogamous relationship. And what matters so much is knowing yourself. Absolutely. Like how Christina said, she knows. Like, you know. (laughs) I know that that is not for me. It's not you. (laughs) Yeah. And you're such a beautiful example of you can have a really beautiful, rich life that nurtures lots of different relationships and has wonderful sex and it doesn't have to be about that one relationship. Um, but yeah, certainly stay. And I think too, if you're in a long-term relationship and that it obviously it ended. So there's a good chance it wasn't just the sex that was mm-hmm. getting boring, right? Like there were other things and sometimes I think our arousal gets wrapped up in all these other things. Like if you're not feeling good about yourself or whatever happened in this relationship, sometimes I think we really, by focusing on taking care of ourselves and pursuing our own interests and not putting pressure to like fill a certain role or have a certain kind of relationship. Like if she wants to go out and date and have fun, then that's great. And if the sexual desire is there, that's great too. So I, I tried this yoni egg. (laughs) <laughs> this morning, actually, it's called the Shakrubes Yoni Egg. It's a jade egg. And it ties into this because actually one of the draws for me, this is from the Pleasure Chest, thepleasurechest.com. They have stores in Chicago, Los Angeles, and New York. And this Yoni Egg, first of all, it, it's lovely. It's like this black jade egg. And when I was reading about it, a lot of it had to do with the benefits being related to Kegel exercises, like mm-hmm. working your p- pelvic floor, because basically you put this stone egg in your vagina. And uh, when I was reading about the pelvic floor stuff, I was like, that's cool, that's cool. And then I read some of the reviews, and they were like, I have the strongest orgasms ever now, and <laughs> now, I, now I'm ejaculating. And I was like, huh, well, this could be interesting. So <laughs> I, I tried it, and I have to say I was a little hesitant, not hesitant, but just sort of... Something felt weird to me that I was putting an egg in me. <laughs> uh, people love these, by the way. And if you do, great. I think they, they're they supposedly really spiritual. They have these, like, special powers where you set your intentions and they connect you with your femininity and all this stuff. For me, and I don't know if it's because I have a pet bird or if it's because I have never wanted children. But for me, like, this – like, an egg is such a symbol of – procreation and being fertile and all this stuff. So something felt really strange to me putting this egg inside my vagina. But I have to say, when I put it in, I was like, ooh, it feels really good going in. But then, okay, and first you have to, I read a lot of instructions for this. This is how dedicated I am because I'm not an instructions reader. Um, I had to boil water, add salt to it, let it cool, put put the egg in there. And I think it's partly to make it more sterile. But which is weird, sterile fertility. Anyway, <laughs> but then also, it you're not supposed to do that too much because it like gets away some of the good woo woo vibes or something. Like don't get a you don't want to like mess with the crystals or and all that's so foreign to me because I'm just not I don't know much about crystals, <sighs> and I I did not follow some of the instructions. You're supposed to carry it around and let it get to know you, which felt really weird to me. Um, oh my, <laughs> <laughs> kind of like that thing where you carried egg around in sex ed, you know, yeah. like. Um, but uh, I didn't do that, and then I don't know. Maybe that really does happen because I think it got a little upset with me because I put it inside and then I thought well I'll just have it there for 15 minutes like they say you can do it in small doses at first and I was like I can see how you have to clench to kind of keep it in at first because it was just like falling right out at first and it felt really strange but then you clench and it stays in and then I sat down I'm just doing my thing and at first it felt good and then I didn't feel it anymore and then I got up to take it out and I'm like where is it I can't find it (laughs) Like, I, I, with my fingers, I couldn't find it. I was like, oh, no. Where did it go? And uh, supposedly this, they can't get stuck in you or they can't, like, travel up to your lungs or anything uh, because the nature of, like, the cervix is going to prevent that, right, because of the size of the, the egg. But I was like, how am I supposed to get this out? And this isn't the best sales pitch for this egg, but I actually had to, like, pee to get it to come out. So it came out in the toilet, and then I 
scrubbed it really well and washed it with soap and everything. Um, so I think I would prefer one with maybe a string attached or because they have those or I don't know. They, they have those other kinds of um, other kinds of they had it in uh, the Shades of Grey movie, the one where it's like a chain of balls and they're body safe and so they look like anal beads but basically yeah. yeah basically basically which I could see so it's interesting I could see having putting it there as putting sex in your mind and maybe that would be helpful for foreplay but I think I need to try it out a few more times <laughs> have you ever tried a yoni egg or, or something else surprising that you decided I'm going to put this in my vagina you know I have not tried the yoni egg I like to tell myself that I'm keeping my pelvic floor strong by having more orgasms. <laughs> yeah. Which is true. <laughs> it is true. It's absolutely true. So, therefore, I should do that as much as possible. <laughs> uh, but I do have um, a fair amount of experience retrieving things from my vagina. And uh, that is because every so often, when it is worth it, I will uh, put a makeup sponge in my vagina during my period so that uh, there will be no blood for sex. And that cannot be good for you, but it is an old sex worker trick, and it works. So wait, you put the sponge in you and then have sex with it in you? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I moisten it first and with sterile water, and yeah, and then, and then absolutely push it up to as close to your cervix as you can get. Uh, you may have to cut the sponge, and may I recommend the super soft ones, not the rough ones, but yes. Mm-hmm. How did you get it? So did you have to – is it easy to get out? Sometimes. <laughs> I'd be so nervous putting something up there that was like – So <laughs> generally speaking, like I said, the men that I sleep with have very big dicks. So it gets pushed all the way up to be flush with my cervix, which is uh, helpful for – Absorbing all of the blood that would otherwise be all over his and dick. And some people have a lot of pleasure with their cervix. For some people, it's tender, but people have cervical orgasms. So I wonder, if, did you feel like a happy, good feeling? You know, I am one of those people with a sensitive uh, cervix, so I do not experience cervical orgasms. And so it, it honestly, you forget that it's in there in the same way as uh, a tampon, I find. And plus, there's a lot going on during sex with especially someone with a big dick. So I so I forget it's there and until I have to retrieve it afterward, which most of the time is pretty straightforward. Um, It's (laughs) the I find the easiest way if I can't just reach it is to, like, get into the bathtub, throw one of your legs over the side of the bathtub and, like, get in there. And retrieve it. Um, warning, if you have long nails, that makes it much harder. Ouch. So mm-hmm, I'm, uh, I'm growing out my nails for a music video that I'm doing. So at this moment, I probably won't. But <laughs> generally speaking, yeah. Do you ever let the blood flow? All the time. And do your your booty calls, any of your partners, do, they, do you ask them first? Do they mind it? I know some, some people do, some don't. So I am not proud of the fact that I will surprise period sex some people sometimes. <laughs> but if I really care about sleeping them sleeping with them again, then I will have a conversation about it, like which I mean I say conversation, but a text that's like, "Hey, come over. By the way, period sex doesn't bother you, right?" And so then they'll well, either say yes or no. Yeah, yeah. And so if it does bother them, then I'll be like, all right, sponge time. Or I'll wait. But uh, And and if they say no, it doesn't bother them, then I'm like, well, great. Yeah. Throw down a beach towel and we'll get it done. Right. (laughs) It can be lubricating, too. Or you can do it in the shower if you want to. Absolutely. I'm I'm so sure that that will be how I die. If I do shower sex, (laughs) I will be one of those people, those single people who dies in their bathroom because I've either hit my head on the front tile or I've slipped and hit my head. So I tend to avoid shower sex for that reason. Also because water is so hard to keep the lube going. So... That's true. Those those things. I don't want to be a bathroom desk statistic. (laughs) No doubt. No doubt. 
So with your booty calls and your anyone that you're, I'm sure you probably have some regulars maybe too. I do. I have which, a few. Which is nice because I feel like there can be something really exciting about a one-time thing. Sometimes they go great. Sometimes they don't at all. But obviously you provide guidance and, and you're able to find ways. To, you know what is going to bring you pleasure and all of that. Absolutely. What... What makes a really good – could you give us an example of, like, an amazing booty call, someone that you didn't know before? Because I feel like without getting to know each other at all, a lot of times the first time having sex with a person can be kind of, like, not great. Well, uh, one of my regulars who doesn't actually live in Las Vegas, but he comes in for work uh, quite frequently, is one of my absolute favorites. He has the best dick ever ever it's huge and it gets really hard and it stays hard as long as I want and that is amazing and he is great with it he he understands the female body really well and my body in particular I don't have to tell him anything he lets me do whatever I want without bitching about it which is great and you know he comes over and either has a drink or doesn't and then leaves right after and doesn't text me a lot in between so that makes him that's like your ideal oh it is (laughs) it absolutely is my ideal what's your worst booty call experience oh my gosh well those of you who read my blog will know that there's a lot of competition for that for that (laughs) title um well I mean, I, I recently had, uh, recently, like two, three weeks ago, had a guy come over with uh, sores on his penis. So, I mean, that was oh my God. terrible. And then, you know, I had to have the conversation with him about, I'm not going to have sex with you. That jeopardizes my sexual health. And of course, then it's he is, I don't have anything. You might have something. Right. You know, mad about it. And I don't know who shows up with an outbreak, first of all. And without disclosing it, I mean, that's just. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Absolutely. And if someone has something, I hope they would disclose it anyway. But in particular, what with a breakout when your transmission risk is so high so but he was he was not happy I said it in the kindest way that I could I mean was I mad that he tried to give me herpes absolutely but you know I am sure that he feels bad enough and it's a vulnerable position for him so I tried to be very kind about it but he of course flew off the handle and on and on and hopefully you won't do that to other people now though that you stood up because I think that you know not everyone has the confidence or the sexual self-confidence to stop the situation and and it takes it takes some work and growth considering the culture that we're in and there's no shame in feeling like you can't stand up but I think if it sounds really uncomfortable for you to say hey you know we're actually not going to have sex right now. If that sounds, and maybe even practicing that, like role-playing with a friend or something, because absolutely, if, if that isn't something you feel you can do, I think it's really important to go, okay, maybe I'm not ready for either booty calls or I really need to be really thoughtful about that process. Absolutely. I think until you understand uh, sexual health and feel that you can advocate for your health, then booty calls are not an appropriate option. Although... Honestly, those sorts of things can happen in relationships as well. So practicing that and really knowing that you're worth advocating for and you are there for your pleasure as well as his and you must protect yourself and your health. Never let yourself be hurt in any way, whether it's in the moment or long term. Really, really advocate for yourself and be strong about that because – not only are you at risk, but also when we don't advocate for ourselves, I think we feel like shit about ourselves. It's so true. Yeah. And I think it goes in all directions. It's also standing up for our our pleasure, right? And, Absolutely. And knowing what we desire and what feels good and being able to voice the good, the bad, the positive, the embarrassing, and, and really working on that. I know you really advocate for people developing that sense of sexual self-worth the ability to see it and to really embrace that. So 
aside from making sure that in those scenarios that you are speaking up for yourself, what are some other ways that we can better become that, become the person who really does go, oh, you know what? I am a really worthy sexual being. You know, that's such a great question. And there are so many aspects to it. But first, I you need a, a thorough understanding of your own body. And that masturbation is the best way to get that. And if you want to read about other women's experiences around that, absolutely, that can be very empowering and enlightening. But absolutely touch yourself, get familiar with your own body and understand what you like, what works for you, what doesn't work for you, what you do and don't want others to do. And then once you have that thorough understanding, you can bring it to a sexual situation with a partner. And I think a lot of it for women is unlearning what society has told us about how we get our value. I think there's a lot of value placed on the value we bring to others, such as a partner or a child. And we need to recognize that we have value just as ourselves. And we don't exist to be something to other people. We absolutely exist to live our own amazing, authentic life. And knowing that we deserve that can be such an uphill battle because of the way that society has treated women for so long. I mean, for so many years, it was illegal for us to have our own life. Like, absolutely, there were laws in place that meant that we couldn't have our own life outside of a marital situation because we couldn't have our own bank account. We couldn't own our own property. We could earn very little in a very limited set of jobs. We just didn't have that option. And so now we have had that option for not very long, 50 years-ish. We're still coming out of that way of thinking. And I know my mom told me a lot of things growing up along those same lines, and I'm sure everyone's mom does, and they're well-intentioned, and they're trying to help their daughters be successful in the way that they were successful and what worked for them. And so they mean nothing but help, but it's such a hindrance in terms of, I remember my mom telling me what men liked and how to appeal to men and what I should do to make me prettier and to make me thinner and, you know, to make me more glamorous and to, you know, make me more appealing as a partner. And Those are things that I absolutely had to work to overcome because I want to be pretty to me and I want to be strong for me. And I, you know, I want to do the things that make me happy and not the things that make some potential partner happy. I don't owe a partner any of that. I don't even need a partner. And I think that it's a long, it's a long and interesting journey to get to the point where we find our own value again because my god from the time we're two or three years old it starts with men can treat you the way that they want oh a boy hit you because he likes you and therefore take the abuse because it's flattering you should be flattered when a man you know Uh, screams things about your body like that should be a compliment and you should you'd be grateful for anything that he gives you and it's just terrible and our society is getting so much better and you know there's so many amazing women and allies working on it like you august you're amazing and you're doing so much to help shift that narrative but uh, until we can it's you know so much an individual journey and but we can find strength in each other. Yeah. Absolutely. It's so true. It's so true. I love what you said. I so insightful and so true and the fact that only 50 years ago. I mean the, the we are so fresh into starting to have equality. So it makes so much sense and what you said about not having to please another person that that is not where your worth is is some of the best advice no matter what you're doing, whether it's about sex or relationships. or and, and as somebody who is in a really happy monogamous relationship, I have to say I did not think that I wanted another relationship because of the fact that I'd been in relationships where things I didn't have that kind of equality and didn't feel empowered by them. And, and it was through working on myself that I ended up meeting someone who is 
a feminist, first of all. You know what I mean? Like somebody who <laughs> believes in equality and who wants me to succeed and more of a partnership. And I feel like no matter what kinds of relationships that you want or or if you don't want any relationships, if you whatever it is, the relationship with yourself really is the foundation. Oh, absolutely. For everything. For everything. Thank you so much for everything that you do. I am obsessed with your gifts and your your booty call videos. I want <laughs> to be I want there to be thousands, so please keep making them because I just I feel like they're so binge-worthy and so fascinating and they're not just funny, but insightful and I could I just feel like people can learn so much by breaking the taboos around that as well, you know, because there is no shame. And it's so interesting to me that we have shame around, oh, I had pleasure. Oh, my God. What? Absolutely. Stop it. (laughs) I I can't believe we haven't talked about the the gender double standard when it comes to promiscuity yet. But absolutely, although I'm pretty sure our listeners are pretty aware of that already. Yeah, yeah. It's a huge, huge double standard for sure. It's it's. The, the quote male pleasure is is expected yeah having to having to fight for it isn't uh we shouldn't have to and no. and that's why work starting with ourselves is so huge because I don't think we realize how much we are not valuing ourselves or or embracing our sexuality until we we start peeling back those layers you know and it's Absolutely. it's a journey it's a journey it's it's a beautiful one though I couldn't agree more. Thank you for being here. Remind everyone where they can learn more about you and see your beautiful videos, find you online. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, you can find me at Christina with no H. ChristinaRoyale.com. My YouTube channel is Christina Royale. And you can find me on Facebook the same way. Connect with me on Instagram. I would absolutely love to share my ridiculous booty calls with all of you. (laughs) (laughs) How often do you get to hear that, y'all? Seriously. Thank you, Christina. (laughs) And if you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes. If you haven't, you can also follow us on Spotify. And while you're on iTunes, leave us a simple review. They make it a little complicated to leave one, but once you figure it out, it takes a few seconds and it really helps us keep things going. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week. 